Welcome to Gruesome, your horrific true crime podcast. My name is Meg, and my sweet angel of a BFF, Connie, is going to tell us all about Christian Longo. Oh, that's a sweet way to describe me when I'm more of a feral rat. (laughs) My feral rat friend, Connie. Uh, honestly, I have a note in my notes app of your nicknames and I forgot to look at it before we started. <laughs> so I just went with my, my heart and soul. My oh, I feelings love that. I love that. Well, sorry. I'm still laughing about that, <laughs> that video. Okay. Serious stuff. I sent Meg this video that she had already seen, but it was, the, it was still funny. It was the funniest real TikTok, whatever. That I have ever seen in my entire life. When someone sends you uh, like a TikTok or a reel that you've seen, do you laugh at it anyways or do you just tell them seen it? Oh, I can't break them like that. But I always just say like, ha ha. (laughs) But I have to let people know that when I say like, ha ha, it's like, (laughs) it's It's like a cackle. It's my witch cackle. Especially if I put heh heh heh, H-E-H-E. <laughs> it's <laughs> uh, Sometimes I say seen it. And it sometimes I'm like, all right, we'll just, I like that they thought of me when they saw this. So I'm going to like give you a sympathy, not a sympathy, just like yeah. I'm going to laugh at it because I, I want you to, to continue to send me things. I tell my husband every single time if I've seen it because he doesn't have TikTok or Instagram. So he watches shit on Facebook and I'm like, bro, that's old. (laughs) I saw that three months ago. Yeah, that's old. Like I saw it on TikTok first, two months later, saw it on Instagram. And now you're seeing it on Facebook. (laughs) It's, uh, it's who you're most comfortable with. That's the one that's the person who you're most comfortable being like, nah, dick to (laughs) (laughs) being mean to perfect. Well, on to more pressing matters. Um, we have always kind of prided ourselves on doing lesser known cases. Well, when we have like a heavily requested case, we'll do it sometimes. But most of the time, we stick to lesser known cases. But we're going to break from that because I had a movie night with my husband and we watched the movie True Story. And I literally was like, this is seems real. And I did a quick goog. It was real. And well, the so, movie is called True Story. <laughs> it's true. True. But you're like, why do I think that this sounds like a true story? Like halfway through the movie, I looked it up because he was watching it before I came in. So I came in like 20 minutes. Oh, into it sucked it. you in. Yeah. And yeah. So at the end, it tells you like how it's a true story. But during it, I was like, I was. It's a little too more, it's a little too detailed for your typical movie. So here we go. Born in Ypsilanti, Michigan or Ypsilanti Township, Michigan, on January 23rd, 1974, Christian Longo was brought up in a strict Jehovah Witnesses household, Jehovah's Witness household. He spent a lot of time at church and even participated in the door-to-door ministry from a very young age. He would say that he had a pretty happy childhood. Nothing traumatic, nothing crazy, just a normal religious upbringing childhood. And you know how they say money is the root of all evil? Well, that is 100% true in this case. 
And Christian Longo's money trouble began as soon as he bought an engagement ring for his soon-to-be wife, Mary Jane Baker. The couple had met in their church parking lot. She was seven years older than him, and Christian was 19 when the two met. When he bought the engagement ring, a three-carat diamond ring at 19, he bought it on a yeah, he bought it on a payment plan. He wasn't living with Mary Jane at the time. He was living with a couple of roommates. And he didn't have enough money one month to pay for both rent and the ring payment. So he stole money from the camera store where he was working. And when I was first researching this, I mean, great, and I had already seen the movie. But at first glance, you're like, oh, this guy, maybe he does have a soul because he pretty quickly felt guilty for stealing the money and he wrote a check to the camera store, left it on the counter along with his letter of resignation. Okay. I, I feel sympathy for him. Initially, I was like, mm, that's lame. Yeah. When his roommates found out what he had done to the camera, like stealing from the camera store, they told the church elders because they were also Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm-hmm. Sanctions were ha- handed out and... Longo had some of his church responsibilities removed, but Mary Jane stood by his side during all of this. And it also affected her status within the church as well. And because of Longo's theft, they weren't able to get married in the Kingdom Hall, which is like their church thing. But nevertheless, the couple still married in 1993. And this is where it could have stopped. Like Longo could have taken his one indiscretion, one little thievery, and just moved on with his life. But he quickly became addicted to the get-rich-quick mentality. He said that his dream was to be a retired millionaire by the time he was 30. He loved new cars, nice clothes, tropical vacations. And it did not take him long to max out all of the couple's credit cards trying to maintain this lifestyle that he was portraying. The couple was in a crazy amount of debt before their first son, Zachary, was born. And even more so once Mary Jane stopped working to care for their son. During the next two years, the couple had two more kids, Sadie and Madison. And during those few years, the couple's finances really struggled. And Christian Longo said that he refused to ask anyone for help, including his parents, because he had too much pride. In reality, Christian Longo was a con artist and no one was safe from his schemes. He tells everyone that he didn't want to ask his parents for money because of his pride, but he didn't have a problem scamming his dad with this construction cleanup company that he created. The company was like a cleanup business where they would come in after new build constructions and like clean up shampoo carpets and all of that. Mm-hmm. And he after a co- new build, you need to shampoo carpets? Uh, Yeah, because sometimes if they're still like it's like a move and clean type thing. Yeah, like okay. they're all like. They're not like wiping cabinets and stuff with all the drywall dust and everything. Gotcha. And he cooked his books to make it look like his business was doing pretty well. So much, in fact, that his dad, who before he didn't want to ask for money because he had too much pride, felt comfortable investing tens of thousands of dollars into this bullshit company. His business wasn't doing well. He was completely exaggerating the success. But he still, he bought two cars. He had jet skis. Um, He told his friends that he won them in a contest, the jet skis. (laughs) I won these two jet skis. Check it out, man. 
He got his car repossessed because he wasn't making his car payment. And when their second car broke down, he thought the best idea would be to make a fake driver's license, head to a dealership, take a Pontiac Montana for a test drive, and then just never return it. His wife was like, for him? Yeah, it did. His wife was like, why aren't we getting any statements for this? So he was like, I'm just going to create some on my computer. And he started sending them to his house to kind of cover that up. So he's lying to his wife, lying to his family. He's in too deep. He's stealing money. So it was no surprise to any of our listeners that in May of 2000, his wife also found out that he was exchanging romantic emails with another woman. She confronted him and his response was that he didn't think she was fun anymore since having their kids and that he didn't love her anymore. And I read that and I was like, are you shitting me? He's literally scamming every person in his entire life. And he's like, you know, you're hard at work taking care of our kids and I'm just not. You know, you're the most stable thing in my life and that's boring. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But once again, Mary Jane decided to stick with her husband and that is no shame to her, by the way. I I, I, I'm trying to think of a way to say this without, I don't want to be like offensive, but we see that a lot in families who have like a heavy religious background. It's, you know, stand by your man type thing. And despite his shortcomings as a husband, she was in love with him. Like they had been together for, you know, years at this point. And now keep in mind, she had no idea how much he had ruined her finances. So to her, the only thing he had done was this email exchange with another woman there was never any evidence that he had like a physical relationship with her so she doesn't know that he's digging them into such a deep hole of debt but even though she decided to stay with him she did tell the church elders about his affair and he was once again sanctioned by the church and i had to do a quick goog of what that even meant because i kept seeing that and i'm like what the hell is a sanction in the church because i had no idea And um, I guess it can be different punishments such as like reproof and restriction of congregational duties all the way to like excommunication, which is known as disfellowshipping, which is like shunning their shunt from the church. And people who are disfellowshipped, they can be reinstated after they, you know, have they demonstrate repentance. And I read that if you are excommunicated, that your family, if they're um, witnesses as well, they will just stop talking to you and cut you off as well. Hmm. So he's been racking up credit card debts and he has zero money. So he decides that the best course of action is to just print false checks from his printer on his home computer from businesses that owed his company money. This falsification of checks, check for fraud um, and forgery was the first time that Longo ended up in front of a judge. And when he was there, he grossly inflated the amount of money that his company actually was making, leading him to a restitution fine that he was in no financial position to pay. And when the elders of the congregation read about Longo's check forgeries in a local newspaper, Longo was finally disfellowshipped. He claimed that the incident led to a eye-opening moment with his wife to where he promised her, hey, this that's it for me. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to be the husband that you need. I'm going to be truthful to you. We're going to straighten out our finances. But he was like, before we do that, let's give each other 
one last gift before we kind of shut the books down and, you know, handle our finances. He paid for corrective eye surgery for Mary Jane and himself. He took scuba diving lessons. I was like, let's let's make sure we got this all together. I've always wanted to learn how to scuba dive. And I understand her getting like LASIK or whatever. Like I, I feel that, like I see that, but, um, to be like, you know, we are hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. Let's. I could, I need to scuba dive immediately. Yeah. I think it would that's, really make me feel better. That's the most important thing I need to pay for right now, scuba diving. So their finances are in shambles. They have zero credit. Um, Longo obtained a credit card in his dad's name where he racked up nearly $100,000 in debt without his dad's knowledge. So not only is he ruining his credit, he ruined Mary Jane's credit, and now he's ruining his dad's credit as well. The calls from creditors and the he said the constant harassment, you know, they're trying to get the money from the debt that he owed them. It's not like they were like relentlessly attacking him for no reason. He owed them hundreds of thousands of dollars. He felt that now was time for the family to get a fresh start. Despite the risk of violating his probation, the Longo family left Michigan for a warehouse in Toledo, Ohio. Longo had plans to transform the warehouse into a loft-style living space, but the family had to live there with no kitchen, no plumbing, and to, you know, float the money to flip this warehouse, Longo resorted to cashing forged checks again. And he told his wife that the rent had been paid for six months, but big surprise, he hadn't paid it at all. Once Longo moved Mary Jane away from her family, she pretty much lost contact with them. It took her sister, Sally Clark, driving to Toledo, and she just drove around looking for the family because she had no idea where they were. And she actually ended up spotting their dog outside of the building, and that's how she found her sister. Whoa, that's some investigative work. Mm Mm-hmm. Mary Jane told her sister, hey, everything is fine. We're really – like, he's turning his life around. Like, things are great. Sure. He's just – he was a con artist. He had everyone fooled. Well, he didn't have everyone fooled. He had his family fooled. Yeah, but I feel like sisters uh, can see through that, right? Oh, yeah. Immediately. Like, sisters have a bullshit meter that's like, "Mm, don't like that. Don't like that. They're like, "Mm, I don't believe you. Longo was once again, like, charged with selling stolen machinery. Well, not once again charged. He was charged again, this time with selling stolen machinery. But he evaded the charges because they moved again. Driving separately in stolen vehicles because he stole two cars before he left, the couple found themselves, they were just on the run. Unaware of the legal troubles, Mary Jane and Longo moved between campsites and motels. And they would just kind of live with the bare necessities to get by. Mary Jane had to pawn her three-carat wedding ring for cash, which honestly, I was surprised it took him that long to do it because he is all he cares about is money. Mm -hmm. His lifestyle. Her family filed missing persons reports on them because they had no way of knowing where Mary Jane and the three children were. The family eventually settled in Oregon, and they rented a vacation house in Waldport, but financial struggles just persisted. 
forced upon stolen items, Christian convinced a Bayfront condominium manager that he was a telephone company employee waiting on a paycheck, securing mm-hmm. a $1,500 per month condo with without upfront payment. So he was like, hey, I work for the telephone company. You know, we just moved here. I'm just waiting on my first check. And they were like, oh, you know what? Looks legit. Come on in. Juggling a part-time job at a Starbucks counter in a Fred Meyer store, which is like a grocery store, Longo spun a false narrative about living off an internet business. So he had all of these people. He, he was a content creator. And what year was mm-hmm. this? Uh, 2001. All right. Getting a the jump OG. start on it. The family's financial challenges just intensified, leading to overdue rent, no food, and there were times when they even had to steal gas so their cars would run. And by they, I mean Longo. Yeah. I don't think Mary Jane knows that he's out there stealing gas. Maybe she does, though. Maybe she's catching on to his ways. I think it's one of those situations where she's starting to realize that the math ain't mathin' with their finances. Yeah, for sure. Despite the facade... Longo knew that this $1,500 a month condo wasn't going to last. And on the night of December 16th, 2001, he said that that night marked the beginning of the end. On December 19th, 2001, a resident of a Waldport RV park alerted the police to a disturbing discovery. A small boy's lifeless body floating face down in the water near his lot. What? The digitally enhanced photograph of the boy was released to the news media and a couple who occasionally babysat for the Longo children went to the police saying that the kid in the photo looked like four-year-old Zachary Longo. Three days later, as divers combed the shallow area where Zach was found, they made another discovery. The body of a small girl dressed in only her underwear weighted down with a rock in a pillowcase tied to her ankle. And they've realized at this point that Zachary had also been weighted in the same manner, but he had slipped free of the pillowcase and that's how he floated to the surface. Otherwise, there is a chance none of the bodies would have ever been found. December 27th, 2001, eight days after the first body had been found, Divers searched the waters in front of the condos just below a wooden ramp leading to the docks where tons of sailboats were. The divers retrieved two large green suitcases. One of the suitcases appeared to have a bit of human hair coming from the zipper. Inside, bent into a fetal position, was the body of Mary Jane Longo. She was nude, a mixture of blood and water seeping from her nose and mouth. And later, the medical examiner determined that the cause of death was manual strangulation. The second suitcase was also opened. Inside was a pile of clothing and the body of two-year-old Madison Longo. There was no blood on her body and no obvious injury. She was ju- The only thing she was wearing was a frog pattern diaper. She'd been strangled, according to the medical examiner, then placed in the suitcase and dropped into the water. Initially, he was sought out just as a like for questioning as a witness but he christian longo quickly became the prime suspect by december 28th he was charged with murdering his family earning a spot on the fbi's 10 most wanted list his parents actually collaborated with them to get information out and to get 
the story to America's Most Wanted and search for him. They were like, yeah, he's a piece of shit. You yeah. need to find him. Also, tell him he owes me $100,000. A tip eventually led authorities to a Mexican cabana where Longo was residing with a German photographer who claimed Longo had identified himself as Michael Finkel, a former travel writer for the New York Times. Michael Finkel? Is that mm-hmm. a real person? Yeah. That's that's what gets that's what's gonna be get this. That's what's crazy about the story. He um he left the hotel on January seventh, two thousand two, and was captured six days later without incident in the small town of Tulum. He was taken into U.S. custody and arrived back in the states on January fourteenth, two thousand two. Okay, so now we're gonna fast forward a few weeks because now we're gonna talk about Michael Finkel for just a second. Okay. Michael Finkel had recently been fired from his job as a New York Times journalist because he wrote an article that he says was more of a blend of fact and fiction than a full true story. He took the stories of like six or seven different boys, kind of like melted them together and then presented it as the life of one boy. Okay. So it was like this whole thing and he got busted and fired. How did he get busted? So an organization that worked with like trafficking for kids recognized the boy that he put is the cover person, like the cover boy for this article. And they were like, that's not the boy that you're talking about. Like, we know who that is. That's not who you're speaking of. And they went to like the editors at the New York Times about it. And he admitted that he embellished. He was like, yeah, I just thought it would be a more cohesive story if it was just one guy instead of six. Yeah, and he said that he was trying to shed light on the situation that was going on, but I think he just had a huge ego, and people were really excited about this article coming out. Like, they were talking about how it could be, like, a Pulitzer Prize-winning article, and then it was just pretty much bullshit. Mm. So the New York Times wrote a six-page editor's note condemning the journalism that Finkel had written, and the story was about to be released that weekend when he received a call from a man named Matt Sabo. And the conversation went, Finkel answered the phone, and he's like, well, congratulations, you're the first to call. And Matt was like, oh, I am? And the two went back and forth, and Finkel was convinced he was calling about the New York Times article. And the guy was like, wait, what are you talking about? And Finkel was like, no, what are you talking about? And Finkel's like, I'm talking about the editor's note. Isn't that what you're talking about? And Matt Stable said, no, I'm calling about the murders. And he was like, what? While Christian Longo was in Mexico, wanted for the murder of his wife and three young children, he pretended to be this journalist. He chatted with other tourists about the stories he had written. He said that he was in Cancun on assignment. He walked around with a little notepad. He teamed up with that German photographer and He was like, yeah, I'm here. Oh, you're a photojournalist. Like, this is great. Let's work together. On March 6, 2002, two weeks after the editor's note appeared, Mike Finkel wrote Longo a letter in jail, asking him just to contact him if he wanted to. He finally did, and he called, like, he called Finkel, and Finkel asked him why he impersonated him, and he just said, you have a writing style that I wasn't embarrassed to call my own. If I was ever to become a journalist, I 
think I would write articles like you. So I say this with no disrespect to Mike Finkel. I think this just fueled his ego because Michael Finkel eventually went to visit him in prison. And I think, and you can see this in the movie, and I read part of the book that uh, Michael Finkel wrote, and he wanted so desperately to get his career back. That's what After I that's immediately what I was thinking. I was like, this guy's just looking for another story that like can save mm-hmm. him because he made one up. Yeah. And when he went to like he went to visit him in prison, they had like some minor just like exchange pleasantries. Um, when Finkel got back to Montana, he opened his mail to find that Christian Longo had written him a seventy eight page letter. Oh wow. And at first I thought, yeah. And this is what Christian Longo describes as his, like, this is what he says about fleeing to Cancun. He says, on the morning of December 27th, 2001, as I was preparing to touch down at the Mexican beach resort of Cancun, he was stretched out in a long, he was stretched out in a lounge chair on Cancun beach. He thought about what he, a plausible alias couldn't think of anything. You know, he just murdered his entire family. And he's like, how am I going to make my life down here? So he picked up a newspaper, scanned classifieds for a possible job because he went to Mexico with less than $200 because he was a broke piece of shit who had just murdered his family. Mm -hmm. He got to the travel pages. And as he was skimming the articles, he was like, you know, this reminds me of my Sunday morning ritual where I would go to the local Starbucks with my family and order coffee for himself, tea for Mary Jane, and hot chocolate for the kids and read the New York Times. So he's like, oh, I'm down here. This is the perfect facade. I can be Michael Finkel. I can be whoever I want. He was like, my middle name is Michael. Is it that far of a stretch? Bruh. Yes. (laughs) That's a huge stretch. So his second week in Mexico is when he met the German photographer, Janina Frank, and he described her as having bright red hair, a ring piercing in her right eyebrow, a shiny silver stud in the center of her tongue, and a, quote, very attractive body. All right. She had come to Cancun to explore the Mayan ruins, and she was going to, she's a photojournalist, so she's taking these pictures. And Longo was like, I too am here. I, you may know me, I am Michael Finkel. I write for the New York Times. I'm here on assignment. I, we should write an article on Mayan culture. I can get this article in the New York Times for you. Do you think he made that up like the second he found out what she did? Yes. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Cool. Yeah, I don't think, I think as soon as, he realized what she was. He was like, I can relate to this and use you because that's what he is. He's a con artist. Yeah. And he was happy. He said that he, and it's so gross to hear and read that he said that because he had just murdered his wife and three children. Well, he's free, right? He's free. Yeah. And no one knows him and he is conning a new person and she believes she's hanging on to every word. She was so excited to be working with who she thought was Mike Finkel. Because she thought this was going to be her big break. She called her mom and sent her mom an email telling her about this big break. He was like, we're going to sell this piece to the New York Times. And I mean, that's only if the National Geographic doesn't try to steal it first. Like, this is going to be such a huge opportunity. 
And for several days, the two worked on their magazine article. They hiked jungle paths, explored underwater caves. They woke before dawn to beat tourists to the ruins. And he said it made him feel important, which as someone who has spent his entire life trying to impress people, I could see where he would think that. He wrote the first letter that he wrote was pretty much it was just focusing on um, it was just focusing on the time that he had spent with Frank. And then it discussed how he had gotten arrested. He when he was arrested, he they were like, are you Christian Longo? He was like, yep, that's me. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I am. Michael Finkel wrote him back and he was like, well, he's being personal, so I should be personal. So he talked about his life, his hobbies, what he wanted to, you know, like what he was working on. He was just, he says he was just trying to build a rapport, but I am with you. I think he's just looking for his next story, which yeah, I mean, I guess it, it feels goes like hands. one person using another person. Mm-hmm. They're both using each other. Yeah. It gives me very, uh, very yuck vibes. Mm-hmm. And the next letter that Longo wrote him, he told him that he was innocent. He detailed his marriage with Mary Jane, the birth of his children, how he created his business. And in that year leading up to Christian Longo's trial, the two of them sent 23 letters apiece back and forth, and they spoke on the phone for more than 50 hours. In March of 2003, when Christian Longo's trial began, he told a disgusting version of what happened to his children. He was the key character witness for himself, and he spent four days on the witness stand, and he said that Mary Jane had murdered his two oldest children, and then in a blind rage, he murdered and strangled, or he strangled Mary Jane and Madison. He said that he and Mary Jane had a date on December 15th when she told him that she felt that things were going well for the family, but she confronted him about all of the lies she suspected he had been telling. So like we said, he had, she had started, the veil was starting to lift for Mary Jane. Mm Mm-hmm. After the conversation, Longo said that he struggled with whether he should come clean with his wife or, you know, what the next lie he could tell. He was realizing that their days were numbered in the condo because of the unpaid rent. He returned from work on December 16th and had some wine and cheese while pondering his situation. He finally went to bed, but he couldn't sleep. And when Mary Jane asked him what was wrong, he slowly began disclosing everything to her the two had an all-night conversation with mary jane becoming emotional in a way that he had never seen before after admitting to her that even the family van was stolen and contained stolen gasoline and that their condo had not been paid for mary jane became fed up he said that she berated him for 45 minutes she slapped him and then she told him that she would never be able to trust him again all very valid responses for finding yeah. out that your husband is a lying, stealing, thieving piece of shit. Yeah, I, uh, I feel that. I feel that, Mary Jane. It'd be, it'd be, it'd feel the same way. He said that he left her in the bedroom to get a few hours of sleep on the couch before he had to go to work the next day. And he woke up, hung out with his son Zachary for a little bit. When he went into the bedroom to check on Mary Jane, he found that she had vomited on the floor. And why that was relevant information in his testimony, I still have no idea. Yeah, I was like, okay, and? He said, being the doting father that he is, he begged Mary Jane 
to let him stay home from work so that he could take care of the kids so that she could have some time alone. She yelled at him and told him that he had to get to work. He couldn't get fired because of all the money that they owed everyone. a whole bunch of money to a whole bunch of people. Get your ass to work. So she drove him there. He said that he kissed his children goodbye and even went into detail saying that Madison reached up so that her Scooby-Doo toy could give him a kiss before he left the van. And then he went to work. After his shift ended, he said that Mary Jane was in the parking lot waiting for him as usual and that she was dressed in nothing but a bathrobe and she was completely barefoot. The kids were not with her and that when he was asking her where the kids were, that she would not speak to him on the way home. When they reached their apartment, he said Mary Jane began to hesitate and cry and he had to pick her up and help her get inside the house where she, once they got there, just slumped over on the floor. He told the jurors, who, by the way, also her family, like her parents and sister, they were in the um, the courtroom, the courtroom as well. He said that he found Madison's lifeless body on the bed and then began to try to shake an answer out of his hysterical wife, who told him, "You did this. You killed us," and told him that the other two children were in the water. He said that he lost control at that moment, and that is when he choked Mary Jane to death. What a sociopath. Exactly. And it, it it gets worse. He says that after Mary Jane was dead, he decided to dispose of the bodies into two large suitcases because he thought that Madison, that Mary Jane had already killed Madison. But when he did this, Madison suddenly, like, like she was like kind of hesitating to breathe. So he realized that Madison was still alive. And he said, quote, even though she was breathing, I thought of her as dead at that point. So he no. began to smother her. Like, it gives me, um, it sounds like he's like, try, like trying to convince the jury that he's like, well, she was almost dead. And I felt I would already, I'd already mourned her loss in that 14 mm-hmm. minutes. So I was just putting her out of her misery. Ugh, this guy's gross. So disgusting. And even though he like spun this like horrific tale and it obviously like shocked the entire courtroom, the prosecutors were like, uh, okay, not only has Mary Jane never had a history of violence, she was never even told to have like no one ever even said she had a bad temper. She was 110 pounds. She would not be able to physically lift her children and to put them in the water with the heavy rocks attached. Like they were like, there's physically no way that she did this. Mm-mm. And absolutely zero jurors believed Christian Longo's story. And he was found guilty of all four murders and sentenced to death where he resided at the Oregon state penitentiary on death row until December 13th, 2002, when his death sentence, along with everyone else's who was on death row, was commuted to life without parole by Governor Kate Brown. Oh, so like everyone and they got rid of yeah. the guilty in Oregon? It's, yep. Um, like- in Michael Finkel's book, he wrote, quote, early every aspect of my relationship with Longo was co- confounding. And in the end, I agreed with the jury's decision. Longo had murdered his family, but I could never figure out just how much he'd lied to me. Everything he wrote in his letters that could be independently confirmed, I double-checked, and almost all of it turned out to be accurate. 
but this still left a tremendous amount of information that couldn't be verified. I don't think Longo ever intended to tell me the whole true story. From the start to the most vital, his answers to the most vital questions were precisely calibrated. Not exactly false, but not wholly true. During our initial visit at the Lincoln County Jail, I gathered my nerve to look him squarely in the eyes. I spoke clearly and assertively. Chris, I said, did you do what you were accused of doing? His face remained composed. It was as though he'd been waiting for me to ask this. He was silent for a moment, and I felt he was selecting his words carefully. I can't answer that right now, he said, but I think you know. And then he winked at me, winked his left eye slowly Ugh. and obviously as to say, hey, this visit may be monitored, so I can't say anything directly, but there's your answer. And like I said, this move, this case was... Michael Finkel wrote a book about his involvement and the book's called True Story. I recommend reading it. Or if you want a quick Cliff Notes version, watch the film because from what I read, it's pretty spot on. Uh, Jonah Hill is Finkel and James Franco's Christian Longo. Um, Christian Longo still calls Michael Finkel on the first Sunday of every month. And Finkel said, despite the fact that he's a sociopath and a quadruple murderer, he is also insanely perceptive and eloquent, and his descriptive abilities are amazing. So, yes, I pick up the phone. I'm a journalist, and I got the biggest fucking ick from that. Ooh, yeah. Like, maybe after you had figured out, like, hey, why did you use my name? Why did you, um, like, wanting to know the why behind something, I under I feel like that's valid. For sure. I would want to know the why. Why would someone pretend to be me after they just murdered their entire family? Especially I, if I'm a journalist and a researcher and I want to know more about that. But after I know, like, I'm like, sweet, you're nuts. I don't want to talk to you ever again. Like, you killed your wife. You killed your children. Well, I, and then one step further, after you hear this huge fabricated story that he told the courtroom in front of her family about like, oh, Mary Jane did this. I had to kill her. She killed my kids. That would be enough for me to be like, yeah, you're. Mm. Yeah, I don't want to get. I don't want to get mixed up with this fella. Yeah, that's a no. But again, like you said, I think they're just using each other. Mm -hmm. they're, um, like they're uh, like getting off on each. Like they're getting each other's egos, you know. Yeah, it's just like two egomaniacs up. who are like, yeah, let me just stroke like that feeding ego. each other oh. exactly. Like when you scratch that part behind a dog's ear and their legs start shaking, that's what each of them they're do to doing each other. it to each other. Ugh, gross. Uh, in 2011, Christian Longo founded Gifts of Anatomical Value from Everyone, acronym GAVE which advocates for death row prisoners being allowed to donate their organs. Um, I guess most, most death row prisoners are denied requests to donate their organs because of all of the infectious diseases within the prisons. Well, it's because none of them have hearts, so. It's true. They're just fucking existing. Um, but Longo has countered that death row inmates interested in donating their organs could undergo intensive screening far ahead of their execution. So I guess that is a positive thing that he has done saving lives but i would not fucking want a death row well, inmate's don't liver need to focus on that at any way whatsoever no it's, it's like hey guess what uh that doesn't fucking matter because you wouldn't be on death row if you weren't a monster yeah uh i don't think if i found out that i don't think i would want a, an organ for my death row inmate well i think that's probably part of it 
I would imagine is that they're like, no, you guys can't donate organs because nobody wants your organs. Like, have, yeah. you, have you seen the movie Idle Hands? Where, like, yes. Yeah, like that's what I picture. It's just like you get the liver of a convicted murderer, and you're just like you start drinking and killing people. Oh my god, that's this guy. The level of manipulation, and it's weird that it started. I think she threatened to expose him, and she was gonna blow up his entire facade that he had, and she was gonna take the kids and leave, and that. He was so used to him. I don't think that she even exposed him. I just think that she was like, I can't do this. You're wrong for this. And it was someone questioning him and understanding that he was legit. And he was, he snapped and was like, no, no one can know. Yeah. Cause I think he was so used to her just like blindly standing by him because he had conned her for so long. And then when she's like, we're not doing this. Like, I couldn't imagine my husband being like, hey, that van you drive our children around in is stolen. The gas inside of it is stolen. No. And honestly, who knows if she even approached him with that information, you know? Like, who knows? That was all coming from him. There's a chance she was just like, hey, what is going on? Like, something's not right. I'm confused. And then he couldn't lie to her anymore. Like, there were there was no place to lie again. But it he's ugh, big ugh, and like what a t- I thought about timing and like the divine timing and everything because like a fucking course he just happens to use Finkel's name when he, he was, was just reading the New York Times on his way on the airplane and then that lady was like oh yeah I'm a photojournalist and he was like actually I'm Michael Finkel. Well, he said Finkel said that he knew he asked him a lot of questions about his previous article so he was someone that had read a lot of his work and again i think that just further stroked finkel's ego and he was like oh yeah you read my stuff cool do you know i'm a liar too are you aware he and it's just weird to me that like when he was sitting at home calling people begging them to like give him a second chance with his work and they were all like dude you fabricated a big fucking story. We don't want you anywhere near us. Then all of this happens and he's suddenly relevant again. It's like, what are the fucking odds, man? Mm, I do not know. So he's I, still in jail then in Oregon? He didn't die yeah, or anything? He no, has, he has sadly. He die, unfortunately. Unfortunately. That's rough. Finkel is still, I just can't believe he still talks to him on the phone. Like, what the yeah. fuck do you need to know 20 yeah, years later? Don't, don't answer it. Just don't pick no. it up. It's like, ring, ring. Nope. I will not accept those charges. Like, it's been 20 years. What do you still have to say to him? Nothing. Now it's just like part of his routine. I would deny him of that, you know? I'd be like, Mm-mm, you thought, man. You thought. And it probably makes him feel good that he's friends with, like, this, uh, you know, this writer who's this acclaimed writer. Well, and he wrote this book. Like rat. Yeah, he wrote the book. It's partially about him. And it's, again, just. And her family begged him not to write the book. They were like, why do you need to know his side of the story? His, the, like, his side doesn't matter. All it is is he murdered my sister and, you know, nephew and nieces. He was like, I got to. I have to do it. My guts are just telling me. That I need to. It's like, ew. 
as soon as he fucking winked at me after I asked him if he did that, that would have been killed it. his children. Yeah, I would be like, no, hard pass, friend. I'm out. And it's like one of those weird winks that your kids do when they first are finding out that they're winking. Like that. Slow, real slow. Slow ah. wink. No. Get out of here, Christian Longo. Ugh. But yeah, that's that's the tale, huh? The tale of Christian Longo and how fucking disgusting he is. How do you feel about the dual cicadas coming out this summer? Bro. (laughs) I am so thankful. Well, you remember my old house in my town where it had trees all around it. So when the cicadas came that time, I was was loud. It was loud. I don't have one tree right close to me. (laughs) No trees around me. No trees. I just remember driving down the road and just hearing. You know, I kind of like the sound. It feels like it feels very summery to me. And I like cicadas. I think they're pretty. I like the green ones, like when they're green and big. But the green ones and then the like black and red ones. I don't think I can remember seeing a black and red one. So I think. Oh, that's all we had over here was the big ass black and red ones. Oh, really? Yeah, they were gross. I like the big green ones. I think they're cool. I um, found there's this tree at a park we go to, and there's always cicada shells on it. And I walked up to one, and there was one coming out of its shell, and I like kind of peeled it off of it and like held it in my hand. It was it was neat. But yes, I'm sure it'll be very loud and obnoxious at some point. It's just one of those. It hasn't n- happened in, since like 1803. That I'm these good with cicadas. that, man. <laughs> like, let's make it another. 200 years no more we're done after this yeah i got maybe 40 years left in me just if we could just make it until i'm done they said that there's gonna be more than a trillion bugs fuck yeah trillion oh my god camping this summer is gonna be wild you'll have a Maybe it'll be like a noise machine, you know, like how you need something to fall asleep to, <laughs> like like a fan or like a white noise. It's cicadas. You know what's funny is I, <laughs> I, I requested um, like a daytime lamp for my alarm clock. That's what what I asked my mom for for Christmas, and I love it. It like a what? What did it's you like a. For? sunrise lamp like a sunlight lamp so when you when the alarm goes off it like gently produces a light that mimics a sunrise oh that's cool it's really cool and i have like my alarm sound is just like birds chirping and it's all fine and dandy i love it until i fall asleep like in the living room at night and i hear it from my bedroom and i hear my husband being like turn it off my uh my boyfriend's alarm is birds chirping and I sleep through it when I hear it. Like <laughs> I'll wake up and I'll hear it and I'll be like, that them's just birds. You're still <laughs> white though. It's because you're like, oh, it's just my friends. <laughs> Good night. Just, uh, but <laughs> I but it has this thing has a sound machine on it. And as we have discussed, our daughters have been little terrors mm. lately. And my daughter's having sleep well. No, they have never slept. Neither one of our daughters has never slept lives. well. They're, I've tried schedules. And, like, she'll go through solid parts where I'm like, hell, yeah, we're through it. But right? It's a trick. It's a trap. It happened last. Okay, so every night except, like, the first night, 
she went to sleep last week. It was Monday. She slept until five in the morning, which like if I wake up at five in the morning and my youngest has not woken up before that, I think she's dead. I'm like, yep. there's no way this kid is alive still. She, something has happened. She's gone. And so I woke up well rested at 5 a.m. because I got to sleep through the whole night. Like, oh no, what's going panicked. on? Panicked. Yeah, panicked. And then I was like, okay, it's fine. Just close your eyes. And 30 minutes later, she was in there. I was just like, there she is. Good morning. Go back to bed. Walk her back to her room. But I'm up already. But then for the rest of the week, it was like 10 o'clock. All right. I put my kids to bed. I try to make sure they're asleep by 830. But they usually start bedtime around 730. And so uh, if if they're asleep by 8, then I get like uh, an 11 to 12 o'clock wake up. I get a 1 to 2 o'clock wake up. I get a 4-ish and then I get like the morning wake up at around 6.30. Yep. I mm-hmm. get, she just comes into our room. Like, and I know, she's, I, she does too, but I've been trying to put her back. Like I have been putting, like I walk her that's back. That's what I room. think I need to do. Like, it's so hard because you're so tired. I'm going to be honest. I, when St. Karen came to visit with her son and husband um, over Christmas, I hurt. Karen's son is a very early riser. They have their son on a very dope schedule. He like sleeps all through the night. Like he, but he wakes up like the butt crack of dawn. And it was my vacation, like my Christmas vacay from work. So I locked my door at night because I was like, sorry, honey, I love you, but I don't need you coming in and seeing all this first thing in the morning. Because <laughs> I'm one, once I'm up, I'm up. And I hate that because sometimes my daughter will wake up. It, she comes in our, my room at like 3.30 in the morning and then I'm just up for the day. And when I locked her out of, with the door locked, she couldn't get in and it was the best night's sleep I had. <laughs> I slept. Did she just go back to her bed? No, she went and slept on the couch, which I was fine with. She was like, I don't give a shit where you sleep as long as you don't come in here. <laughs> as long as you're not, as long as you're asleep, I don't care where it's at. But I felt this thing as a sound machine on it and it had, we were, I was like, well, why don't we try one of, let's, try one of these sound machines. Like, let's try one of these sounds. And it got to like the ocean and she was like talking through it. And I was like, it's supposed to be relaxing. Stop talking. <laughs> Stop talking. I hate it. Cause it's such a tough season of parenting right now, <laughs> but cause like now she's got the five-year-old sass to go along with all of it. Mm-hmm. And then if she wakes up too early, she's trying to nap and like we're past naps and she'll fall asleep at like two or three o'clock in the afternoon that happened to me today and like it was fine well my kids don't do school on Fridays because they have like e-learning days every Friday but they she got up at like 6 30 this morning and then at like two o'clock I looked over and she was sitting next to me and she was just out and I was like dang but she's at her dad so it's not my problem tonight yeah it's like (laughs) sorry man (laughs) she uh one day last week my daughter had like she fell asleep really early, and I was like, shit, she's going to wake up at, like, midnight and think it's time for school. She woke up at, like, 11.30, stayed up for, like, 30 minutes, but then went back to sleep. So she ended up with, like, 10 hours of sleep. I bet she was a delight the next day. She was such a nice – because usually, like, waking her up for school is, like, such a pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. It's like, come on, let's go. And she's like, ah. But she woke up, she was like, good morning, mom. And I was like, 
I had to tell her because she was like full of energy because she got so much sleep. I had to tell her teacher. I was like, look, I'm sorry. She slept like 100 hours more than what she's used to. So she's yours now. See you at 1030. See ya. Uh, we, had a, we had a rough week uh, where it was really cold and my heat went out and then my pipes froze. And um, so we then exploded and then exploded when they thought, yeah, it was kind of a nightmare week. Um, so she wasn't at home in her own bed because we, I was working on handling that stuff. And she had like school cancellations and school delays. Oh, yeah. And so she did not sleep well for about a week. And so the next time she went to sleep in her own bed, she slept. That was the night. Was, was it Monday? I think it was Monday. And that was when she slept. She pretty much slept till like 530 in the morning. And I was like, oh, man, what a restful night for me and for her. <laughs> I told my husband, I was like, I think I have sleep apnea. I don't sleep well. He's like, no, you have a daughter that doesn't go to bed. It's not. He's like, so even big, when. Because even all chunk of our life, though. Yes. And even when she does go to bed, I still wake up constantly because I'm just used to her waking me up. Mm-hmm. Because you wake up and you're like, where, is, where are they? Yeah. It's happening. It's so this stark difference between her and my middle son. Because I left the house today to take my oldest to a bath, like the high school basketball game. And I didn't even, like my daughter was at her, like my mother-in-law's. But I didn't even, I didn't even tell him that I left because I forgot he was here. Because he's just quiet and staying in his lane. I know. I was like, shit. Really just like driving in that middle child <laughs> stigma. Bye. You're the forgotten one. Ugh. You know, you can't be the forgotten one and your favorite. I, he, You know what it is? I think the reason why he is such a favorite of mine is because I really cherish the time he allows me to have with him. <laughs> Without him. <laughs> no, like uh, with him. Because like it's so like he loves to hang out by himself. And so when he does grace me with his presence, I just relish it. You're just like. Let's just be us. Let's just be ourselves. And he's very low expectations. I can be like, you just want to watch a movie? Get some pizza? He's like, yeah, let's do that. That's perfect. That's exactly what I want to do. Meanwhile, And he never asked me for anything. She's like, what are we doing today? Immediately. Can Mm -hmm. we do something fun? And I'm just like, no. She's like, I'm bored. I'm bored. Only boring people are bored. I'm so bored. That's what she says. I'm so bored. And I'm like, go do something. My oldest says that, and I say, "What am What am I gonna tell you after you tell me that you're so bored?" And she'll go, "Only boring people are bored." And I'm like, "That's right. Go find something to do. See you later." We've been having a preschool. There's a boy in her preschool class that is not a very nice boy to her. And the stuff that I out of him? no, because she's like, a nice girl. No, she doesn't. She's like, no, I'm I'm just gonna tell my teacher, because she's like, he just tells me they were making these little planets in class, and she's like, he just tells me all the time how my planets are ugly. My planet is ugly. The heart I made is ugly. And I was like, okay, push Connie, him down. Do not tell her to tell him that he's ugly because that's the first thought I have. <laughs> I I'm feel just that. like. <laughs> my kids right now they're all calling each other hillbillies in school and what my old- <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> and my oldest came home and she was like this boy told me i was a hillbilly and i was like did you tell him he was an asshole and she was like no i was like you should 
Um, but now they just call each other hillbillies all the time. And earlier, the little one was doing something the big one didn't like, and the big one was like, quit it, you hillbilly. And, <laughs> and it's it's so funny. It makes me laugh every time. I love it. That's like a, a it's slur like, to them. It is. It's like an insult. How dare also, you? Also, it's not that bad, so it's kind of hilarious. I asked my oldest, so he's eighth grade. I asked him, do you guys tell, like, do you guys do your mom jokes? And because, like, my husband's always like, your mom, like, to me or to, like, him about me. Yeah. And, you know, just normal. That's how, how you were Mom's in high hot. school. Yeah, exactly. And he goes, well, you know, we really did. We used to do it seventh grade. We said it a lot. But we had a few kids whose mom passed away and we collectively decided not to do them anymore. And I was like, where was that when what we were in school? What what beautiful, what a beautiful cycle of humans we've created. Because my husband was like, that would have made us say it more. I'm like, I know because we were oh, your fucking mom died? tyrant. I'm going to say it even harder. Yes. I was like, I love that kids are more sensitive and like empathetic Aware. now because we weren't. We no. weren't. No. We. I mean, obviously, we still make kidnapping jokes for you. Like we just still, we still like make light of it. And it's a very traumatic thing that happened. Right. But like we made even worse jokes than like me getting kidnapped jokes. Uh <laughs> We can't even talk about those. Yeah, that's I know. That's what I'm saying. Like, I know you know what I'm talking about, but we're not mm -hmm. even going to discuss it because it's not good. And I was talking about it the other day, and I was just like, I can't. Oh, I should preface this, but they are not racist jokes. They're not. No, no, it's no. It's nothing racist or homophobic. It's just us being assholes. Yeah. Uh, it's not a good time for anyone. <laughs> it was not. 2005 to 2007 was really just kind of... It was it's the wild, wild west. <laughs> well, that's when we first became, we had the internet to hide behind. So we just said shit. Yeah. You're just really teaching us uh, the, the keyboard warrior ways. Mm -hmm. It's messed mm -hmm. up. It's messed up stuff. I think it's a good place to end it. Yeah, I feel like you guys should all tell us the worst thing you ever said when you were. <laughs> yeah, what was the. What was the jaw-dropping shit you said in high school? Because we want to hear about it. To make ourselves feel better, primarily. Yeah. Sounds, Sounds good, good to me. <laughs> All right. All right. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to Gruesome Horrific True Crime. We love you, beautiful strangers. And if you love us too, here are some ways that you can support Gruesome. Please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast or a five-star rating on Spotify. This helps other true crime connoisseurs find us. Follow us at Gruesome Podcasts on Instagram or TikTok and talk to us on our posts. Join the Patreon. Sign up to join our True Crime Sticker of the Month Club and gain access to bonus episodes and exclusive Patreon perks. Or if a one-time donation is more your thing, we have a Venmo at Gruesome Podcast and a PayPal via our email, gruesomepodcast at gmail.com. Speaking of which, we love hearing from you. It seriously makes our whole life. So send us your questions, comments, suggestions, or just ask our opinion on whether that person you met on Tinder is a serial killer or not. Tune in next week and don't forget, lock your windows, lock your doors, and on Wednesdays, 
We're, we're gruesome. gruesome. Bye. Bye. <laughs>